tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. This is Denise. And we are being joined by some special co-hosts today. We have Jordan, Jacob, Christy, and we're all sharing one mic. So this should be a lot of fun. What we've done is we are road tripping, as most of you have been following us, and this next stop is in Iowa, West Side, Iowa in particular, and there's some haunted stories about Iowa out there. There's also stories about haunted farmland that we're going to talk about today, and most people probably know the most famous haunting that's here in Iowa. We did do a previous podcast on that. Which was the Velisca Axe Murder House. Exactly. So make sure you check out our archives for that. Before we get into talking about some of those other more spooky things, we want to tell you a little bit about the history of the city that we're in today. History Goes Bump spent several days in the small town of Westside, Iowa, visiting family. Westside is located in Crawford County. The town derived its name from the fact that it is just slightly west of the divided between the Mississippi and Missouri River. Watersheds, the first settlers to the area, arrived here after traveling from Council Bluffs. Council Bluffs was a major trading station. The settlers traveled by ox and cart rather than by horse because horse ownership was a rarity. The people built log cabins to live in and they choose spots near tree groves because that meant water was nearby. The first major rail that served Westside was the Railroad Telegraph Road, which traveled from Boone to Council Bluffs. And Jordan, how old are you? 11. You did a marvelous job. As the population grew, townships were formed to serve the government. Westside became its own township. Townships were headed by a board of trustees who were elected by the people. The town of Westside was officially incorporated on March 11, 1878. The town grew even more when the railroad came to town. The Chicago Northwest Railway built a station at this point west of the summit, the division of water flowing from the Missouri and Mississippi rivers. The coming of the railroad coincided with the end of the Civil War, and more people immigrated to Iowa. Most of the immigrants were Irish and German families. Now, Jacob, here in Iowa, especially around your house here, what is there around all of us here? Cows, sheep, cats, dogs, farms, and horses. Lots of corn. So that's what we're out here in the middle of. Of course, the corn is just starting to seed. So we don't have children of the corn going on yet, but it could get kind of scary out here for that. Westside is still a small farming community. Some of the property harbors more than just the living. Some of those from the past still seem to be hanging out in the afterlife. One of those haunted locations is Diane's sister's farm. The barn is haunted by a previous owner who met an untimely end at his own hand. There are also strange things that happened in the house on an occasion. And who would Diane's sister be? Christy, my mother. And what you all didn't see is right after Miss Jordan finished reading that, she looked at her mom and was like, Really? 
<laughs> Christy, I was wondering, you know a little bit about the history here in Westside. If you could tell us a little bit about some of the founders of the area. The Johns family, which is my would be my husband's great-great-grandparents, which is where the homestead started from, which homestead always starts off with 160 acres. So at one time, up until last year, there was the 160 acres along with the farmhouse. On the property itself, there has been three houses. We actually live in the third and final house. But the original house is where our house was built. Uh, we have a garage that's off, that's detached. That's where Grandma's house was. Once Rich's grandmother got married, then Grandma got her own house built in the backside of the property. And then my husband's mom and her uh, nine other siblings actually grew up in this in the in the house itself. And then when both the houses were so dilapidated that they ended up by tearing both of them down, then his grandmother and then two of his uncles lived in a trailer house while this house was built, and they used the wood from both the other houses to actually build this house that we live in today. And when was this house built? 1964. Now, do you know what was here on the property before they homesteaded here? Was there was there Indians in the area or anything? Do you know? That I don't know. Now, that's the story about the house. There's a lot of outbuildings here as well. When were all of those built? Do you know? The larger barn is actually the oldest on the property. We know that that is over 100 years old, along with a, there's a hog barn that's also been here that long. The other buildings have been where we have a grain bin that was actually an old corn crib that was in that same location. Uh, where the chicken coop is now, it was a different chicken coop. Uh, where our machine shed is, that it was actually, this is a more modern machine shed versus they just actually had, uh, they just had barns that had openings on the one side. Oh, but we actually, oh, the day kitchen, I don't know how old the day kitchen is day kitchen could be as old as um, the big barn itself. And now the barn really doesn't have anything in it other than we were traipsing through it and it was a lot of uh, petrified manure, (laughs) I guess is what you could call it, that we were traipsing through. It was probably pretty funny watching Denise and I, the city girls, hanging out in the country barn and traipsing through all of this manure with open-toed shoes. We didn't have our muck boots on, so to say. Now, the barn has had some weird things that have happened in it. Would you care to tell us a little bit about that? Rich's uncle, or not Rich's uncle, Rich's, Rich's grandfather. Um, we actually do think that, that Rich's, Rich's grandfather actually still is, is amongst that, that piece of the property, which I just found out recently, as of just oh an hour ago, that we actually have two sheep on the property. This is the first time in this property's history that there is sheep on this property and the grandfather didn't like sheep <laughs> which might be why one of the sheep got so spooked it got out of its uh thing pen? it's pen the other night it's a full moon crazy things happen on a full moon out here we had some raccoons that got a little crazy so last year we had our big halloween party uh rich's brother and his son and his son's cousin decided that in the middle of the night after they'd been doing a little drinking around the bonfire that they wanted to go into the big barn and check it out. And when they went in there, their flashlights wouldn't stay on and they got a little spooked out. And so they all came running out of the barn and said they'd never go back in there again in the middle of the night. Now, as happens with some homes, they creak 
and they pop and they snap and sometimes people's imaginations can run away with them and they seem to think that there might be something there that's not there. Have any of you ever had any of those experiences in this house? And Christy gave a soft no. Now, I would like to ask you something, Jacob. Remember when you used to stay when you had your house back in Colorado and you used to go over to Scotty's house, right? Did you ever see an old man there? Yes. And did an old man actually live at that house? Yes. So he he used to live there? Yeah. And did he ever talk to you? No. He just would look at you? Yes. And was he always in the same room? No. So you would see him in other rooms in the house? Yes. So the interesting thing is, is that Scotty, who lived at the house with Scotty? So it was just Scotty and her mom who lived there. So the brother once. Okay. So we thought that that was an interesting thing because we know that children sometimes are a little bit more sensitive about stuff than other people. Right. Did he smile at you? And what did he used to wear? Do you remember what his clothes looked like? No. You think so? There's a ghost at Scotty's house. So do you think that the old man was that? Yes. So let me ask you, when you when you use the word ghost, what do you think that means? Something spooky. Did, did the old man scare you? Yes. So do you think ghosts are always spooky or do you think sometimes they could be maybe nice? They could be nice. I would have to agree. I definitely would agree with that. What do you think, Jordan? I don't really believe in ghosts, but if there are any ghosts, then I would say that some would be mean and some would be nice. That's what I would say. How about you, Christy? What do you what do you say about that stuff? I've had enough encounters, and I know that some of them are very nice, and I know that there are some that aren't so nice. Oh, and theaters, multiple theaters. Oh, and and at our store, <laughs> the store I worked at before we moved out. We actually built a new building, and yeah, there was quite a few spirits that didn't quite like us there in particular. There's an older colonel that didn't like us. <laughs> what was he a colonel of? Was he uh, from a war? Yes, but it, there wasn't. But there wasn't a war that was actually fought on the property. Is there was Indian territory that was there, but there was never any battles that were actually fought on that land. But you would always smell like a cigar or pipe smell. And it would be just concentrated in one area. He liked to hit the girls on the butts. Um, He did push me one day while I was standing there talking. I got pushed. We had a vault and there was a voice activated alarm uh, in the vault. And at two o'clock in the morning, the owners would always get calls saying that the voice activated alarm was going off in the vault. So my sister has definitely had more encounters than I have. I've only had a couple that I've told you guys about on previous podcasts. Poor Denise has never had any encounters. I would say that you probably haven't either, right, Jordan? (laughs) Now, have you ever seen anybody else? You sometimes see a lady too. Is that right, Jacob? What does she look like? Brown, brown hair. How old are you, Jacob? Five. But you're going to have a birthday here pretty soon, huh? And then you're going to be? Six. So did she wear pants and a shirt then? And did she ever say anything to you? Sometimes. What kind of stuff did she say to you? I don't know. I forgot. Well, Denise, I thought maybe you could share something that comes from a place that is a piece of farmland in Indiana. We uh, traveled through Indiana. It was a real exciting area, wasn't it? Oh, that's probably been the most exciting drive I've had next to West Texas. <laughs> Boring. But there is a piece of farmland apparently in Indiana that has some stories that go with it. Maybe some of our listeners have heard of Troy Taylor. He's really well known in a lot of the paranormal circles and he hosts a lot of different events. And he's actually hosting uh, an event here in the Midwest, I believe that's, I can't remember what state, but it was going to be maybe Missouri or somewhere we're traveling through, but not at the same time. But anyway, he talked about on his website, prairieghost.com, a haunted 
farm that he went to in Indiana. And the strange phenomenon that he reported that he actually experienced was the following. Eerie voices that have been heard calling out. Strange behavior by horses, dogs, and other animals as if they sense something that the humans who are present cannot. I'm going to have uh, Jake and Jordan help me with reading all these things here. Can you read that one right there? Lights turning on and off by themselves. Articles of clothing being taken and moved about knives and scissors disappearing from the barn one knife literally vanished for 10 years before being discovered again lying in plain sight on the floor of the barn strange moving cold spots in the barn on the property a mist that comes up off the pond and then comes and goes at will it has even been said although not witnessed by the author that the mist has even performed on command coming and going in response to requests from witnesses. In addition to the barn and the outdoor areas of the farm, the house that is located on the property has also been the scene of disturbances. Accounts from the house include instances of lights that turn on and of sometimes by request water faucets that turn on by themselves. Keys and other items that vanish from the kitchen table only to be returned later. A rocking chair in the kitchen rocks by itself and has been seen by multiple witnesses. Cups and other items flying off of the counters. Some of the scariest things found on farmland farmland are scarecrows. Countless movies have featured terrifying scare, scarecrows and one of them one of the villains in Batman comics is the Scarecrow. Could a Scarecrow be haunted? Now, Denise and I used to host another show called The Twilight Hour, probably a year and a half ago. And we did interview a gentleman on there who had written a book, and he is the expert on The Bell Witch, which many of you may have heard of. It's a pretty famous haunting out of Tennessee, and we thought we would include that in our haunted farmland because this land was farmland and we passed through Tennessee twice on our road trip here. His name is Pat Fitzhugh and I suggest you check out his websites and his books that he's written on this. But to tell you a little bit about the Bell Witch, here's how the story goes, the legend. And as we like to say, a legend is always based in a little bit of truth and then of course as the years go by it gets a little bit more blown up and things change and get more dramatic. So one day in 1817, John Bell was inspecting his cornfield when he encountered a strange looking animal sitting in the middle of a corn row. Shocked by the appearance of this animal, which had the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. Does that sound pretty weird? Bell shot it several times. The animal vanished. Bell thought nothing more about the incident, at least not until after dinner. That evening, the Bells began hearing beating sounds on the outside walls of their log house. The mysterious sounds continued with increased frequency and force each night. Bell and his sons often hurried outside to catch the culprit, but always returned empty-handed. In the weeks that followed, the Bell children began waking up frightened, complaining that rats were gnawing at their bedposts. Not long after that, the children began complaining of having their bed covers pulled from them and their pillows tossed onto the floor by a seemingly invisible entity. As time went on, the Bells began hearing faint, whispering noises, which too weak to understand, but sounded like a feeble old woman singing hymns. The encounters escalated, and the Bells' youngest daughter, Betsy, began experiencing brutal encounters with the invisible en- entity. 
It would pull her hair and slap her relentlessly, often leaving welts and handprints on her face and body. The disturbances which John Bell told his family to keep a secret eventually escalated to such point that he decided to share his family trouble with his closest friend and neighbor, James Johnston. Johnston and his wife spent the night at the Bell, at the Bell home, where they were subject subjected to the same terrifying disturbances that the Bells had experienced. After having his bed covers removed and being slapped repeatedly, Johnston sprang out of bed, exclaiming, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? There was no response, but the remainder of the night was relatively peaceful. The entity's voice strengthened over time to the point that it was loud and unmistakable. It sang hymns, quoted scripture, carried on intelligent conversation, and once even quoted word for word two sermons that were preached at the same time on the same day, 13 miles apart. Word of this supernatural phenomenon soon spread outside the settlement, even to Nashville, where then Major General Andrew Jackson took a keen interest. Jackson claimed to have an experience when traveling through the area. Their horses would not budge. After several minutes of cursing and trying to coax the horses into pulling the wagon, Jackson proclaimed, By the eternal boys, that must be the Bell Witch. Then a disembodied female voice told Jackson that they could proceed and that she would see them again later that evening. They were then able to proceed across the property up the lane into the Bell home where Jackson and John Mell had a long discussion about the Indians and other topics while Jackson's entourage waited to see if the entity was going to manifest, which apparently it did, according to Jackson. And he did eventually become one of our presidents. So, you know, take that with a a grain of salt, you know. John Bell breathed his last breath on the morning of December 20th, 1820. After slipping into a coma the day before, immediately after his death, the family found a small vial of unidentified liquid in the cupboard. John Bell Jr. gave some of it to the cat, which died instantly. The entity then spoke up, exclaiming joyfully, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. John Jr. quickly threw the vial onto the fireplace, where it burst into a bright bluish flame and shot up the chimney. So that's basically the legend of the Bell Witch and one of the reasons why they believe that John Bell and his family were tormented by whatever this was is because he had mistreated a woman that everybody claimed to be a witch and that she had cursed the family. Now a lot of people think it was just a hoax. So that's for you guys. Do you think it's a hoax? Do you think it was real? We know when we look back at things like the Salem witch trials and stuff that a lot of women and even men were put on trial and accused of witchcraft when they absolutely had nothing to do with that. It was just a way to go after people who you either wanted their land or you didn't agree with the way they lived their lives. So could farmlands in the Midwest hold the spirits of the undead? That is for you to decide. Well, we hope you enjoyed this quick little shout out from the road. Hope you enjoyed hanging out with the Hanson family who happened to be our niece and our nephew and my sister, Christy. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Thank you for having me. And Jacob, it was great hearing from you. Hi, everybody. And thank you, Christy, for your haunting encounters. Sure, anytime. All right, stay tuned for our next podcast, which will be from St. Charles, Missouri. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. <laughs>